This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. It's MPB Think Radio. I'm Charles Arnold. This is a special Fall Pledge Drive podcast episode asking you to support the MPB news and information you rely on each day. It's so easy to contribute. Call 888-372-4483 or spend just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. Thank you for your contribution. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Oh my gosh, we've got such a special show today. Two, two great things that go great together. Ghosts and fundraising. <laughs> we are taking phone calls today in hopes that folks will go to our website, MPB online.org and make a contribution or you could call our line for contributions that's 1-888-372-GIVE 888-372-4483 but we are going to talk about ghosts on this Halloween so uh, Professor Gershon have you busted out the vegetarian candy at your house (laughs) Well, you know, we do give regular candy to the children. We don't force them to have vegan candy, although a lot of them are anyway. You yeah. Know? Uh, so not a lot but, of um, meat in a Snickers bar, I guess. No, no, not not really. But uh, no, we're happy. We're always happy to have children uh, come. And uh, today I wore my alien mask to my eight o'clock class, and uh, my students really didn't notice for about the first ten minutes. Which was a little bit <laughs> um, but we had fun, and uh, today is going to be fun. It's Halloween. You mentioned. Um, ghost fundraising, and I'll add ghost fundraising and the law today, because we're going to be talking about cases that um, involve the supernatural, and we're, we'll focus on ghosts. And I do have my opinion about ghosts and demons and, and some of that those things, but uh, my, my question always is, as a skeptic, why do ghosts come back wearing clothes? Why are they in period dress or things like that? Because if the ghosts are spirits, the clothes are not spirits. So it doesn't make sense that the clothes would come back with them. But that's just me. Um, but well, we're going to talk about some cases where courts took seriously at least the possibility that ghosts may exist. Well, so I'm excited. I, uh, w- Professor Gershon and I Zoom each other so that we can see each other because he's in Oxford and I'm here in Jackson. And I was showing him around the MPB studio a little bit right now. We're uh, getting some upgrades to add some cameras so maybe we can have some video equipment. But it looks like a haunted house. So that's leading us in. Do we have a haunted house story, Professor Gershon? You know, we do, or at least, uh, you know, a possibly haunted house. Um, and that is an actual case. All of these are going to be actual cases that came uh, in front of a court, which was kind of a little bit astounding, if you ask me. But um, Stambovsky versus Atley is the name of the case. And um, it was a contract for sale of a house, which in and of itself is not that remarkable. And But the, ha- the sale of the house was voided for some rather strange reasons. Um, and if part of that starts with... The fact that the owner of the home had pretty publicly um, talked about to people about and even some of the media, social media, about the um, 
the uh, poltergeist she claimed to have in her house. Yeah, and this and, is this is fairly recent. It was in Reader's Digest, and they gave house tours. I mean, this is this is our our time kind of haunted house. Exactly, and so she she was sure she had she had poltergeist, and uh, um, a buyer wanted to buy the house, and and uh, she said to him, "Well, you know, um, I, I, there are poltergeists here," and he said. Well, then I'll have to call it Ghostbusters. And, and by the way, Java is dressed as a Ghostbuster today. So, he, you know, that would be appropriate. But uh, so, you know, he kind of laughed it off. But then he thought about it for a while and he got cold feet and he backed out of the contract. He wanted to back out of the deal. So, you know, um, would that be a reason to back out of a, a house deal? Now, before yeah. we find out what the law and what the resolution is, I mean, you're buying a house. I, I, I don't. I, I, there aren't a lot of reasons where you can back out of a contract. You you teach contract law, right? Well, I you know in terms of housing, you know, buying a house, it is a contract. Um, but there are certain things you have to disclose if the owner knows about them, and they're not obvious. Then they have to disclose them in writing to the to the buyer. And some of those things would include things like, you know, PEX pipes and things like that that uh, might have problems or lead paint. So those are kind of things that we expect uh, the, the, the seller to disclose. And a question would be for, for a court in a case like this, would the possibility of a haunting in the house be something that the seller has to disclose? And if the answer is yes, and the seller didn't disclose it in writing in the contract, then Essentially, I guess the contract could be voided. I can I can just see you know re- replaced HVAC filter, uh, chimney swept, uh, you know evidences of haunting on this date and this date. You know, I on the seller. What is it? The seller disclosure form that that's interesting. It is. It is interesting. I don't know. I, I find it interesting that you'll see ads for uh, homes in New Orleans. Uh, where the sign says not haunted or haunted, you know, so maybe they got it. You know, that's that's one way to, to, to deal with this. But, um, you know, the, 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 the buyer backs out of the deal and the seller naturally sues because she thought she had a sale um, and it goes to court. And, and I have to say that my rational way of thinking about things is that the judge would probably throw that out and say, yeah, you got to go through with the deal. I mean, you know, poltergeist are not something um, that the law necessarily recognizes, but that's not what the court held. Uh, so the court said, uh, you know, we can't, we don't know whether ghosts are real or not. That's really not the, the jurisdiction of this court to figure that out. But the the possibility that the house could be haunted might negatively affect the value of it. And therefore the owner should have disclosed the fact that uh, in writing, that, that it might be haunted, that she believed they were poltergeist. Well, and I think that that's where you mentioned in New Orleans, does it raise the value of your house if your house is haunted? Um, because the, the, the original owner, well, not the original owner, but the owner, the seller of the house had participated in Halloween, you know, ghost walks and Halloween ghost tours. Well, if you're haunted enough, you could charge some money, you know, get a second income from your house. So that might inflate 
the value of your house. You know, house A is haunted, so uh, it, you could get rights to a movie or some kind of, uh, you know, extra commissions from the public versus House B that, nah, it's just a regular old house. So uh, I guess it, the, the value is in the, in the buyer's eyes. Exactly. It seems like you could take people on tours. You know, you see these houses and, and out-of-the-way places. There's one in Atchison, Kansas that's supposed to be haunted, and they, they charge people to take, you know, to the right to take tours there. I mean, I you know, it could be valuable, and, and people are interested in this kind of stuff. Um, what I find from a legal perspective is I, I believe in that we should only make decisions based on evidence. Um, but, you know, the judge in this case said, hey, I can't, I can't say for sure that those poltergeists don't exist. And she's saying they exist, so she should have disclosed them because they may have affected the value of the property. So, um, Well, you just reminded me, um, I have been to a a real haunted house in the uh, San Jose area, San Francisco area, is the Winchester Mystery House. And that's a, a very famous house. The widow was the... Uh, widow of the um, Winchester gun uh, company. And I mean, they make big money <laughs> doing their house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, by all accounts, I mean, uh, she just kept building the house and kept building the house and building the house so that the spirits would be appeased, apparently. And who are we to say, you know, but um, I certainly have. I, for me, it's I, I don't know. I'm not a believer yet. (laughs) This is In Legal Terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Today we're talking about ghosts. Ghosts on Halloween. So I've got a ghostly story sort of. (laughs) One Voice, the Mississippi NAACP and other voter rights organizations crunched the numbers and found that in Lodes, Octibaha, Hines, Franklin, and Jasper counties, over 50,000 people were recently purged from their list of registered voters. Were these folks ghosts or what? I don't know. A bill that was passed last year encouraged circuit clerks and election commissioners to engage in more purging than they have usually been doing. And so that process may have led to some mistakes. So, folks, you need to see if you're still in thought to be in the land of the living and so that you can vote for next Tuesday's elections, November 7th, 2023. Anyone who goes to the Secretary of State's Y'all's Vote website can check their own voter registration. Now, what you have to do is you, you type in your name, and then you have to type in your birthday and the last four of your Social Security number. So y'all can't go check to see if I'm registered to vote or if your neighbor is, but uh, you can check to see if you are registered to vote and then you pick your address and it will verify if you're registered or not. And if not, you know, I don't know, you've got a week. I know voter registration has closed, but maybe if you've been unfairly purged, Professor Gerson, you have any thoughts on this? 
Well, I'm not an election law expert, but I certainly hope there's a method uh, for fixing that problem because, you know, if someone is entitled to vote and they're registered, they should be allowed to vote. Yeah. Uh, so that's a that's a really important question. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Y'all Vote website because that's a great website. We'll have a link to that. You can go to Y'all Vote, no apostrophe, dot SOS dot MS dot gov. That's the easiest way uh, to find it, and you can get lots of voter information. Okay, so our first segment, we talked about a haunted house. Now, uh, tell us about, we've got an investment case. What what could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong? Well, in uh, in 1919... You know, there was a lot of a lot of people believed in spiritualism around the, the turn of that that century, and um, and uh, really did believe in, in speaking to spirits. And I guess people still do somewhat today. But um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Mister Hermemeyer was an investor, um, and he was looking for an investment in Fort Worth, Texas. And we both had some connection to Fort Worth uh, by a Mrs. Birchall, actual case. And Mrs. Birchall said that she had been told by a spirit, she had consulted the spirits, and she had been told there's a fortune in oil on her property. And all he had to do uh, was to invest in the property to to help get the oil out, and he would have a fortune. Uh, so he did. He put $10,000 of his money uh, up. And you think about 1919, $10,000 was a lot of money. It's a lot of money today, a lot, you know, relatively a lot more back then. And uh, he had... Complete faith that oil would be discovered because uh, Mrs. Birchall had been told by an oil, told about the oil by a medium who had learned about the oil from a spirit. So the question is, you know, as you might, if this story goes a different way and there really is oil on the property, Mr. Herman Meyer's happy, everybody's happy. But as you might expect, there was no oil on the property. Uh, He didn't get his money back. He didn't get a return on his investment. He lost his investment. So now he's unhappy. And he sued Mrs. Birchall to get his money back when uh, the ghostly oil prospector turned out to be wrong. Okay, so so in case (laughs) in case anybody's uh, keeping up a a, a quick search, ten thousand dollars invested in 1919 is a little less than one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars now. So, uh, Abram, if you had one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and gave to a lady because she said, uh, a spirit said she had oil under her house. Uh, I'm trusting that ghost for sure. <laughs> Not. <laughs> okay, so so what happened there? Well, as you might expect, um, he didn't get his return on his investment. He was unhappy, so he sues her for fraud. And, you know, fraud to, to prove fraud is tough because... Fraud has to be that somebody lied to you. They knew they were lying with the intent to get you to do something. But if she really believed that this ghost was talking to this medium and she believed it, then that wouldn't rise to the level of fraud. Um, and, you know, there is, I think, some burden on Mr. Hermemeyer to kind of consider what kind of investments he's going to make um, and whether they are reasonable or not. So um, they go to court. He sues her for fraud. And the court said, um, you know, uh, know, that uh, that his mind was in an abnormal and irrational condition when he believed the spirit. So his money should be returned to him. Uh, But as you might expect, the court did not agree. Um, And 
the court did not deny this is 1919. It could be 2023. And a judge could say uh, it's possible for spirits maybe to communicate with the living. We can't. We don't know. Right. So how can a court make a decision based on that? But though, but this is the court. what the court says. It says these subjects belong to realms and powers that is yet must generally be classified as purely speculative and not so established by evidences cognizable by law, which we are required to administer as to be classed as facts as among proven things. Right? And he had chosen uh, to act on his belief in ghosts, so the investment was not made on the basis of fraud. It was made on the basis of his choice in believing in the ghost. Uh, he was out of luck. He made a bad investment his money was not returned. I would maybe kind of be kind of similar if somebody bit did a lottery ticket based on their birthday or, you know, some uh, they got a fortune cookie and it said, you know, this this is the winning lottery number. And you put a lot of money towards that. Well, you can't sue the fortune cookie people for if you know if you believed it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think yeah, if she especially it sounds like the uh, the person trying to get him to invest, Mrs. Birchall, also believed that this was real um, and, you know, thought there was oil on her property. Um, and uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people have been have been victims to um, wanting to believe uh, in uh, what someone tells them that they're. Uh, uh, beloved uh, uh, loved one who has died, has passed on, is talking to them about. Um, and uh, so I can see where he might have felt like he might have been taken uh, advantage of, but there is somewhat of buyer beware here when you were talking about ghosts and the, and the spiritual realm, I would say. The one place in Texas where there isn't any oil. <laughs> Thank you for listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Our Halloween slash fall fundraising campaign is on, and we are asking you to give what you think is fair. It's important that we hear from you while you have a few minutes to spare. Here is more information about membership in the MPB Foundation. It's MPB Think Radio. I'm Charles Arnold. This is a special Fall Pledge Drive podcast episode asking you to support the MPB news and information you rely on each day. It's so easy to contribute. Call 888-372-4483 or spend just three minutes online at mpbonline.org. Thank you for your contribution. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. He's our expert ghost host today. Uh, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast or find MPB Think Radio recordings on our website, mpbonline.org slash radio. Now, folks, don't get tricked when you go to the polls Next Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, Mississippians can go to the Secretary of State's Y'all Vote website, that's yallvote.sos.ms.gov, and get a sample ballot that's just for their own precinct. Let me tell you what I'm going to be voting on. So, uh, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, State Auditor. State Treasurer, Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, Commissioner of Insurance, Commissioner 
a public service commissioner, a central district, transportation commissioner, central district. I have a district attorney. I have a Senate seat. I, ha- I have a Senate seat running unopposed. I have a House seat that has an independent and uh, one other party. I have a Heinz a chancery clerk, unopposed. Heinz circuit clerk, unopposed. I have Heinz coroner, unopposed. Heinz county attorney, unopposed. Heinz county surveyor, unopposed. Sheriff has a contested race. Tax assessor, unopposed. Tax collector, unopposed. Supervisor, district one, unopposed and Justice Court Judge District 1 unopposed. So, so much for the two-party system. <laughs> Professor Gershon, have you, ch- are you, have you checked yet on uh, what all your races are? Will you be doing that before you go to the polls? I will definitely do that before I go to the polls and uh, look forward to voting and uh, exercising my right as, as, a, as a voter and a citizen of Mississippi uh, and big elections this year. So, uh, excited for the outcome um but um we're talking know, about uh, ghosts today we have a special fundraising pledge show today so we're talking about ghostly law cases so we've had one where because you didn't say it was a ghost he got his money back and then we had one where there was a medium seance but yep too bad, so sad for you. Uh, what have we got next? Well, what we got next is a, a will challenge. I was teaching wills in the States this morning uh, with my 8 o'clock class and uh, actually talked about this case with them because it's kind of interesting. It's an undue influence case in a will. And we think about undue influence. We think about uh, someone who imposes their will on another person so that that person now uh, creates a, a, an estate plan that's really not based on what they want, but what this other person wants them to have. But could that could that be a ghost, the undue influencer? And, and the real case of McClary versus Stahl, which is an 1895 Nebraska case, um, the will was uh, challenged on the basis of the undue influence of the spirits and particularly the deceased husband of the person making the will. Um, so this was a case where, uh, you know, a woman in Nebraska was she believed in spiritualism and she relied on information from a planchette. And it's much like, a, you know, a Ouija board uses a, a planchette when she made her will. So not necessarily a, a person. It was right. a Ouija board. That's right. But, of course, the Ouija board is controlled by the spirits, if you believe that, um, and not by somebody moving it around themselves or whatever. But um, so she got information from the planchette and she decided to change her will based on that information because she thought it came from her deceased husband. So what she did was she disinherited her children for the most part and left her entire estate to a charity called the Home of the Friendless. Um and so, you know, she was encouraged to give all her money to support this charity. The children were naturally not happy with that. Um, and that is not surprising. And one of the things I tell my class is you, you look for the disappointed beneficiary when you think about if the will is going to be challenged or not. And in this case, the children were the disappointed beneficiaries. And they claim that the will was the subject of undue influence by the spirit she consulted. 
Well, and we've oh, we've God. talked about wills and estates on this show many many times, um, and you know I know my mom was in hospice over a summer, and someone came to visit her, and then she changed her will to uh, leave an organization which she had said she was not under any circumstances going to leave them any money. And then she left the money. But uh, we figured we just kind of checked that up to uh, she changed her mind or, you know, maybe somebody convinced her. But she was in her her right mind. We weren't disgruntled about it. But, you know, what when you've talked to your wills and estate people, what are some things uh, you've cautioned them or told them to be on the lookout for when someone changes their will? Well, certainly if they are in a weakened state um, and they're not maybe able to really make their own decisions, um, you know, if they're uh, if someone who's come into their life uh, later in life, who uh, is keeping them away from their family um, and exerting uh, more control, financial control, maybe taking care of their uh, their health needs and things like that. Um, and all of a sudden the will makes a dramatic change away from the people we would call their natural objects of their bounty, their their family, their loved ones, to this this new person who comes to their life, this new charity, uh, this organization. Um, and, and those are things that are red flags that I think a lawyer who drafts a will should look for um, and make sure that the person they're drafting the will for is really wanting these things to happen themselves and not being uh, controlled by someone else. So uh, important considerations. You know, but the question is, could a ghost be the one? Uh, controlling someone's uh, decisions, and so the children, you know, take this to the court and want to want to have the will overturned. Um, and I like what the court said. The court found that the will should stand, and they said, "Law, it said, is of earth and earthy, and the spirit wills are too celestial for cognizant by earthly tribunals." I love um, that wording. <laughs> you know, the, you think of the law. Well, we think of the law being a a dry kind of thing, and of course, this was you know maybe a hundred years ago with the the wording. But I love these the spirit. Uh, Wills are too celestial for cognizance by earthly tribunals. It's, and so, you know, the court's basically saying we can, we don't uh, deny that maybe, you know, the spirit talked to her. We don't know. Um, but we certainly can't use that in our holding. Um, and so uh, and, and people want to talk to those who uh, friends who are uh, departed. But um, but. That doesn't mean as long as they don't interfere with vested rights or, or by means of undue influence, seek to prejudice the interest of persons still within our jurisdiction. So the key is this woman's in Nebraska and she's still here. And what we got to decide as a court is, was there something that affected her ability to make her own decisions about her, her, her will and her wishes of what to do with her property? Because she can do whatever she wants with her property, including disinherit her children. And the court said no. She's free to leave her money however she wanted, and that's what she did, and they upheld the will. Well, the <laughs> do you think that yeah. would still hold today? What do you think they would have the same uh, today? Maybe we don't look as rightly on uh, spiritualism. 
Well, I think it depends on how this all you know happened. If she was doing the planchette for herself and just kind of came to this conclusion herself, I, I would. If I were going to challenge this will, it may not be for undue influence by a spirit, but it might be for uh, some type of lack of capacity issue. Uh, you know, insane delusion is one of the challenges you can raise. Um, insane delusion is a belief in something despite all evidence to the contrary. But but again, some people say, no, I can prove that the ghost exists. Go on YouTube and you can see some videos of you know ghosts, which I think are probably all pretty much fake or uh, misidentification of things. But that's just me. Well, I but, am um, just loving this conversation. <laughs> Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. So, my mama always said, don't take candy from strangers, but I guess on Halloween, you can. And don't get into a car with a stranger. But if you need a ride to the polls next Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, the Mississippi Secretary of State's office can hook you up with a legitimate ride. Just call their free voter ID hotline, which I'm going to go ahead and give it out, 1-844-MS-VOTER, 1-844-MS-VOTER, and tell them where you live. You'll get the names of local transportation providers to contact to make travel arrangements to fit your needs. A transportation provider will pick you up, take you to the circuit clerk's office, and bring you home. There's no charge to you for this ride. It's easy and free. That's the voter, the free voter ID hotline is 1-844-MS-VOTER. So, uh, Professor Gershon, be sure you've got a ride to the polls next Tuesday. I, I fortunately uh, will. And so uh, I, I plan on uh, going and have a dentist appointment that same day. So I'm taking care of a lot of things that day. Well, and but, uh, we bought our house specifically so the kids could walk to the elementary school. And that's where we're voting. So we can just we can just walk to vote. Today is so much fun. Oh, my gosh. We are talking ghostly law cases today on Halloween. We've had a haunted house. We've had a spiritual advice, investment advice. We've had Ouija board wills. What's our last one now? Well, here we got a criminal case, and it's actually the the, uh, case of Edward Stribling's shoe, also known as the Greenbrier ghost case. Uh, And it's the only U.S. case where evidence of a ghost has led to a successful conviction. Um, His wife was found dead. Shu's wife was found dead. Her name was Zona. And it was declared an accidental death. And apparently what had happened was Shu had redressed her in a high neck dress. He uh, choked her and and broken her neck. Um, And uh, he put a high neck dress on her so he could seal that fact that she had injuries around her neck. And I guess they didn't do much investigation back in those days because they declared it an accidental death. But at night, allegedly, Zona's ghost would come to her grieving mother and tell her what really happened. And the ghost uh, claimed that she had been strangled and her neck was broken at the first joint. So the mother pushed for an investigation and they exhumed Zona's body 
and they found she had been strangled and her neck had been broken just in the place that the ghost had mentioned. Um, so Edward Shue was charged with murder uh, and perhaps uh, hoping to discredit the ghostly testimony. Uh, Zona's mother was called to give evidence about the apparition and the jury must have found her convincing because they found Shue guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison based on the evidence that uh, came from the ghost. Now, I have to say there is a, a there is a uh, uh, an evidentiary objection called hearsay. And I think if, you know, if we're going to get the testimony, we should have gotten the testimony from the ghost. And although we, at least we could have the testimony of what the mother said she heard from the ghost. But that in and of itself can't shouldn't be used to prove uh, the testimony. But I don't think they really thought too much about that uh, in that case. Well, to me, on on the TV shows, when they're investigating things, if you know too much about the death, then they're going to look at you. You might be the killer because you know too much. But I guess they didn't think Mama uh, was the one who strangled Zoya. I, I guess not. And, you know, it is it is interesting that, that that testimony was the only testimony in front of a jury uh, that actually was reportedly came from a ghost that has uh, led to a conviction. Um, and I think really probably the exhumation is probably what led to the conviction because they probably had you know enough evidence that showed uh, uh, that connected the, the husband to the actual um, strangling and uh, breaking of the neck. But, you know, it's the case. It's called the Greenbrier ghost case because uh, ghost testimony, at least indirectly, was used to convict uh, the guilty husband. Professor Gershon, these are are just so fun. (laughs) When people have a interesting case uh, that, you know, do you you put it up on a board somewhere or I guess now with social media, things can get aggregated a little bit more. And maybe now as old cases get digitized, more things will be able to pop up and get categorized. It's it's interesting how you found all of these. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy these days. It really is. And, and people have written law review articles about about these kind of cases as well. So, I mean, I think that would be a I write about tax. I think that would be fun to write a law review article about this kind of stuff. Um, really fascinating. And we didn't even touch on demons or lawsuits against the devil. And, you know, we just went, went with ghosts today and we have plenty to talk about. Well, OK, let's make a note. 2024, our Halloween episode, we'll have to see about demons and the law. Thank you. Thank you so much, Professor Richard Gershon, who joins us from the University of Mississippi School of Law. He donates his time every hour and some time on the weekend to MPB to bring in legal terms to you at 10 a.m. to bring legal issues and suggestions for Mississippians. Thank you so much for all that you give to MPB. Thank you, Professor Gershon. It's a pleasure. I'm Liz Gill. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.